Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Christians come up with strange explanations as to the relationship between the law of Moses and Pauline grace. Maybe, they argue, only part of the law is valid, like the Ten Commandments, but the rest is draconian and Jesus came to rescue us from legalism. Others claim... Maybe, because of grace, Jesus is saying that we can do whatever we want and trust that God will make it okay. My favorite explanation is what I call the combo platter. You see, Father Mark, we need both grace and the work of our hands. It's a deep partnership with God. Really? Partnership? Do you really believe that? Please, help me understand the way in which the creator of the heavens and the earth is dependent on you for anything. If that's true, then maybe Paul was wrong. Maybe you are something. Still, it's more likely that Paul was right that we are nothing when we think that we are something. Maybe that's why Matthew compels us to give an account for every last minuscule detail of the Mosaic Law. Not so that we can get grace as a consolation prize like magic pixie dust, but so that we can be humbled and broken with Jesus on the cross into understanding that the God of Moses has been graceful all along. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 19 to 26. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 248 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus expects the listener to follow every single stroke written in the law. You have to know everything written, and you have to do it. If you want to succeed in the land, then you follow the law of the land. And the law of the land is all written out. It's all been written. It's all in Scripture, which means that which is written, and you simply follow it. This is why Jesus uses the word fulfill twice. Every listener to this word, every listener to this law must fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill it, meaning, hey, I'm here. I'm going to do what it says. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, I recommend you do the same. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a clever verse in context of what came before. 
because if you are paying attention to every iota and every kerea in the text, you can't help but be exposed as unrighteous. And so the only way that your righteousness can surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees is if you acquiesce to the righteousness of the teaching. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees aren't wrong because they obsess over every iota and every kerea. They are wrong because they want to make themselves right outside of the content of the text. They want to say that the text is there to prove that they're right. That's the sin. You have to accept that the text demonstrates that you're wrong and then obsess over every stroke and every iota. When people talk about the spirit of the law and how what it really means is you shouldn't care about all the details, you should get the gist, this is ridiculous. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying pay attention to every single detail and accept the fact that the details of Scripture put you to death in Deuteronomy. And then accept the fact that only the teaching is beyond reproach. And then teach that teaching with authority. You can't teach Scripture humbly. It doesn't work. You have to teach Scripture as a messenger of the king who is himself humbled by the king's message. But as the messenger of the king, if you're trying to teach Scripture humbly, you're a scribe or a Pharisee. If you want to learn what Scripture is saying— you learn it from the scribes and the Pharisees. You don't say, I'm going to ignore the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm going to take the scroll. I'm going to go home and I'm going to read it to myself. That didn't happen. You needed a scribe or a Pharisee so that you could have a scroll. That's what you need a scribe for. And you needed someone who could read it and tell you what it's saying. You need the scribes and the Pharisees. They're not unrighteous because they don't know what they're talking about. They absolutely know what they're talking about. They're the ones who told you insofar as you know what you're talking about. It came from them. But here's the problem. They don't have the actions that show that they're fulfilling this law. Remember, Father and I have been saying since verse 1, chapter 1 in Matthew, this is all about kingship, and it's all about upturning what it means to have power. It's important that at the beginning here of Jesus' speech, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, and it's not the first time even in the speech, in the Beatitudes, there shall be the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is laying out the foundation and the groundwork for the legal system of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we might think that legal and kingdom of heaven are incompatible. No, it's not true. Empty legalism, simply reciting the law, is empty because you haven't filled it with the deeds. It's the lampstand with no light. It's the salt with no flavor. The problem with the character of the scribe or the character of the Pharisee in the Gospel of Matthew is not that they pay attention to every detail. I want to stress that because Matthew is stressing the importance of every detail. The mistake of the scribe and the Pharisee in the Gospel of Matthew is that they distort and obfuscate and pollute their study of Scripture by trying to hear it in such a way that they themselves are not off the hook, but they themselves are right because they did it. And this is how most religious people sound to me. They sound no different than the Democrats and the Republicans. Everybody wants to be right. The interesting thing about arguments in our public sphere, Richard, is that both sides of the argument have a point. 
And because the point is valid, remember, the point might be valid, but that does not make them valid or their candidate valid on either side of the aisle. Because they have a valid point, they then try to assume the mantle of rightness. And that is how the New Testament describes Pharisaism. That is how the Pharisees critique themselves and their profession. Teachers always confuse themselves with the teaching. And that's why they play the game of humility. That's exactly why. Because how can you stand up to teach the New Testament without being a hypocrite? only by pretending you're not a hypocrite. No matter how you handle the text, once you think that your wickedness or your righteousness is germane in some way, shape, or form, or you're trying to show your righteousness in order to gain the favor of the people or whatever, once you do that, it's no longer scripture. It's your teaching because it's a new story which presents you as the fourth member of the Trinity. This is the unacceptable sin of the religious teachers and the story of the New Testament. And that is the righteousness that you have to exceed. And you can only exceed it by standing back and letting the text stand out above and beyond not only these false teachers, but yourself. If there is a rotten person telling you the correct thing, the correct answer is not, who is he to tell me? But the teaching is the teaching. And this is what Jesus is saying. You have to focus on the teaching. Whoever is delivering you the teaching is irrelevant because the teaching is what's important. The teaching is what's important. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. On this point, Richard, I want to stress how grim these two verses are. Because again, Matthew is telling you, you have to obey every single detail. You have to account for every iota. You are not off the hook. You cannot say that the Pharisees and the scribes are wrong for paying attention to every detail. Oh, and by the way, in order for your righteousness to surpass the scribes and the Pharisees, you have to realize fully that you are condemned. Because if there's anyone on this podcast who hasn't called someone a fool or who hasn't thought to themselves that someone is good for nothing. Remember, this isn't about your biological brother. It's about your neighbor. Because if you're scriptural in Matthew, everyone is your brother or your sister. If you can honestly say that you've never been angry, then I'd like to meet you because you don't exist. If you're honest with yourself, you realize here what the scribes and the Pharisees refuse to see, that you are not righteous. What Jesus does here is he takes thou shalt not kill and pushes it to its logical, extreme, 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 to cover the most number of cases possible, the widest possible interpretation of what it means to kill. And I can tell you how this functions in our daily life here in the United States. When Christians argue about the death penalty, they say, oh, well, it says you shall not murder. It doesn't say kill because it's okay for a government to kill if they have to kill, but it's judicial, so it's not murder. 
Okay, how is that compatible with Jesus who takes kill to its most logical extreme to where you aren't even allowed to say a mean word to somebody? This is exactly what comes out of the mouths of the scribes and Pharisees of our culture. They take the law, which they know from Scripture, and they twist it, and they mangle it so that they can use it to their own ends, and they don't fill it with the righteousness that it says you're supposed to fill it with, and those deeds come here in Jesus' words. Jesus tells you how to fill it. Anyone who says any word out of anger— This is what this means. Jesus is being as strict as possible. The scribes and Pharisees will never be as strict as Jesus. Don't think that Jesus is loosey-goosey and the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who are all about the nitty-gritty. Jesus said he's about the nitty-gritty and he proved that he's more strict. Jesus is more legalistic than your worst nightmare of legalism. That's the point. And if that's the case... If Jesus is draconian, that means that you have no hope of fulfilling the law. And that is what the text is saying. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. There's no expiation for your sin. You can't do anything at the temple that's going to solve your problem. All you can do is accept that you're wicked and give up and bow to your brother. Bowing to your brother is giving up and not insisting on your own righteousness and not insisting on your own correctness and not justifying the fact that you called him a fool. That doesn't make you right. It makes you a subject of the righteous teaching. And that is how the righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's your righteousness in the way that it's your deeds in Matthew, but they're not your deeds. They're the deeds that were put in you so that your father would be glorified. Because it is God alone in Matthew who is righteous. And his righteousness is your ticket to superseding the righteousness of the false teacher. Let me break this down biblically. Someone who is a breaker of the law is unclean. Therefore, unfit to offer a gift at the temple. The only way to atone for this significantly is to follow the law. Following the law here is reconciling with your neighbor, reconciling with your brother. Once you've done that, then you're allowed to make your offering at the temple. If you're a lawbreaker, you're unclean. If you follow the law, you are clean. Now, you and I, Father, know that all of us are lawbreakers because none of us are God. Therefore, we're all unclean. We need God to make us clean. But Jesus hyperbolically here offers a solution, which is follow the law. And that's the beginning of righteousness. And that's the beginning of cleanliness. The scribes and the Pharisees washing this or sprinkling that is less important than doing what the law says, which is reconciling with your brother. That's the only way. Now, one thing I don't like in the previous verses, in the translation, it used the court instead of the judgment. It's the judgment that one 
is open to, and that judgment comes from God. And I think that we have to remember that God is the one who looks at the clean and the unclean in order to decide who is worthy and who isn't. But of course, we know no one is clean, that God only through his loving kindness allows people to be clean in his eyes. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. This echoes Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians that if you are a Christian who has a dispute with his brother in the community, your only choice is to lose to your brother. You have to lose. The reason you shouldn't go to court isn't because the church court or the ecclesial court is more wise. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying you shouldn't need a court because the only court is the judgment of the text, which condemns you. So what are you squabbling about? So if you pay attention to every iota and every kerea of this blessing, which is the content of the Lord's teaching in Matthew, then you will be accountable to pay up every last cent. But the Lord offers you a shortcut with the cross. Because ultimately, what can a man give beyond giving his own life for his neighbor? That's the novelty, the interesting proposition of Scripture. You can solve the problem of the last cent of your accountability to Scripture by giving everything. And when you acquiesce to your brother who has offended you or whom you have offended, when you just give in, you are demonstrating your commitment to the ultimate sacrifice of giving everything for your brother. That doesn't get you off the hook, but it relieves you of the burden of your own sense of righteousness, which stands between you and the Lord's grace. You want to make sure that you remove any witnesses of your sin. And how do you do that? You make sure there are as many witnesses as possible of your acceptance and obedience to the law. If you want to be clean enough to offer a sacrifice at the temple, you need to make sure that the one you may have sinned against is on your side. That person is going to be a witness when it comes to your judgment. The only way to be able to offer that offering at the temple is to be clean. And the only way to be clean is to escape unscathed from the judgment. What Jesus is saying is don't create witnesses for the prosecution. Create witnesses for your defense by following the law, because this is what the law is there to do. The law is there so that you will create that community with others in the spirit of the teaching. You're going to be stuck, and there's no way to buy yourself out of the position you're going to find yourself in if you insist on this twisted understanding of Torah that avoids any accountability and avoids the necessity of filling that empty vessel with your good deeds. Anybody who says that the New Testament is something different than the Old Testament or that now that we have the Spirit, we don't need the law— I mean, we've tried to explain over and over again how this is nonsense. But if you still hold that view and you're hearing the Gospel of Matthew, and you're hearing Jesus talk about the iota and the kerea, and now 
seeing how Jesus is going through each of the commandments of the law and elaborating how they're much worse than you think they are. You can still walk away from this text and comfort yourself that you just have to get the spirit and then everything will be fine. Then I don't know what can be done for you. I think we proved why people like to take the Beatitudes out of context, because once you read past the Beatitudes, it gets very difficult. Because you don't want to see that the blessing is your failure. You just don't. And why would you? You're a human being, as we said on Tuesday. Thanks very much, Dr. Ben. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.